0: For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive.
2: Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Jessie Ray, and she is COO at Canna Connections, we're gonna talk with her about what they're doing in the cannabis space around events and content, helping push the industry forward. We're gonna talk a little bit about what's going on in the cannabis space relative to what's going on in the world right now. We're in the middle of kind of COVID-19 lockdowns, which is clearly affecting all industries, but certainly affecting the cannabis industry. We're gonna find a little bit more about how it's impacting kind of the world of cannabis, what it's meaning for the events that are posted, and what events we're looking forward to. Uh, hopefully once we kind of get through this immediate processing of COVID and what's going on in terms of the restrictions once those are lifted. uh, Looking forward to some events later this summer and and fall. And we're going to find a little bit more about Jesse and her background. uh, And we're going to talk about cannabis. Excited for the conversation. I think the whole bringing the community together is a really powerful and needed area in the cannabis industry. There's so much movement. There's so much dynamic aspects of the industry. Being able to drive these connections and share experiences is really critical to to developing. With that, Jesse, welcome to the program.
3: Thank you so much for having me, Bruce. I'm happy to be here.
2: Yeah. So let's learn a little bit about you and, and your background and how you got into cannabis or how you got into cannabis professionally anyway. And then we're going to talk about cannabis Connections and some of the work you've been doing. And then we'll talk about some of the events and things that have been going on and, and what you're looking forward to hopefully when COVID kind of relaxes here and we're out of lockdown mode. But let's learn about you and your background first.
3: Sure. So when I started in cannabis, I originally embarked on this journey with my family. My mother and father and sister and I were living in Kansas at the time. That's where I was born and raised. And as you know, Kansas has some pretty conservative cannabis views very difficult to learn about the plant and break into the industry living in Kansas. But we decided we wanted to learn more about the plant, learn more about the culture. And so we started seeking out cannabis events to attend. And the first one we chose was a cannabis cup in Denver in 2015. And just like traditional travelers, we took to the internet to Google what to expect at a cannabis cup. And there was hardly any information out there about Can you have cannabis on site? You know, what to expect, what you can have in your bag in line, even little things like that. We just couldn't find information. And in this diving into looking for information on the event, we started to notice jarring discrepancies in the information surrounding cannabis. And so that was the catalyst for our cannabis education blog that my sister and I started called Cannabis Days. And Uh, That's how I connected with Canna Connections. They were reading my educational articles and Mm -hmm. outreach. And when they offered me a position working for the events, it felt very natural for me to start that career because I have a passion for education and events and connecting with other people in the cannabis industry.
2: Yeah. I'm curious when people talk about their kind of involvement in cannabis or how they got involved in cannabis, did it change anything else kind of either for you professionally or personally in terms of uh, connections you made, connections you had to, were no longer maintaining? Um, Was it a big shift or was this kind of of a natural kind of development for you of of getting involved in the cannabis space professionally?
3: It was a huge shift for me, especially living in Kansas. I had a lot of trepidation about telling anyone about the industry that I was moving into. My previous work had always been in higher education, which was very natural to talk to my grandmother about, you know, but mm-hmm. when I moved into producing candidates events, it was definitely a touching <laughs> subject. Yeah. And, and uh, the biggest change for me is that in order to pursue a career in cannabis and also use it medicinally cuz I do mm-hmm. I had to, go to Oregon so I really had to uproot my entire life to pursue a career in cannabis
2: Yeah. And Oregon, just because that had the best kind of policy situation for you or what was part of that decision for Oregon?
3: Yeah. So we had hosted a couple events in Portland and I had connected with Adam Jacques, who is a breeder and grower here in Oregon, and they had a farm and dispensary. And I obviously was building the events and I'm in charge of the, the educational sessions and the agenda. And I felt like I couldn't really get a grasp on what our attendees needed yeah. if I was working with the plant, right? It's kind of hard to know exactly what your attendees need if you're not. So, Adam invited me out to Oregon to work on his farm and work at the dispensary. And so, that's in the first couple of years while I was producing the events, I was simultaneously working at the farm and the dispensary so that way I could plan the agenda and the education better. And so that was a big draw for me. I just couldn't work hands-on with the plant like I needed to in Kansas. And so Oregon seemed natural because I made that connection with Adam and the West Coast. It really, honestly... The cannabis community is one big family, so I was just very thankful that they allowed me to get that close with the plant because it made a huge difference in my my understanding and the development of the events.
2: Yeah. It's all right. We are in um, I'm based in in sort of the New York, New Jersey area and, you know, we we have some limited medical programs, but we don't have uh, a lot of access to to product and uh, you know, which means that it's tough to really learn too much about it in terms of being able to go to actual growers and, and processors and dispensaries. I'm curious what you learned as you got to Oregon and you got, you know, working with the plant on a more intimate basis, what were the things that you learned or that were revealed to you in that process of having that kind of connection
3: oh gosh everything from popping seeds to (laughs) cloning plants to skirting plants i had no idea how much work and love it took to consume the products that i love right yeah it gives you not only a whole new appreciation for what these breeders and growers do but it really helped me understand what educational sessions were needed for our attendees because everyone does things a little bit differently, I think, and some people, of course, do them the same. But if we don't all get together and talk about how we're doing things, that's when we can't get better, right? Yeah. If we share ideas, what's going wrong, what's going right, then hopefully we can come out with the best solutions. So, I think that was. Working with the plant at that farm and seeing other farms, how they were doing it, it, that was one of the biggest realizations is that we, we have to get together and talk about what we're doing if we want the original growers and breeders to come out of legalization on, we want them to come out successful on the other end of this.
2: Yeah. As you were developing content for the community, I guess what's changed over the years? When you first started, what were the big topics? What did people want to learn about? What were the key agenda items for you? And then how has that shifted over time as the, you know, the industry's, you know, developed, matured, kind of changed? Give me a sense of the, um, the shift that has happened from a content educational point of view.
3: I think in the beginning, we focused a lot more on just, you know, we'd have a specific lighting session, a specific growing session, greenhouse session, just covering all of the topics within cultivation. And from there, I've noticed a very big increase in the discussion of intellectual property. That's probably the biggest change is that now we're realizing you might know how to cultivate and you might know how to breed, but if you're not protecting and preserving those genetics, then you really don't have a leg to stand on right so that to me has been the biggest change is people saying okay now we know how to cultivate but how do we protect how do we protect what we've created at this point so that's one of the biggest changes and then the second one is us bringing in the extraction summit we started that a couple of can of grows ago we have uh, an entire session track that's just dedicated to manufacturing cannabis. So beyond just cultivating it, how do we create the premium cannabis concentrates that people are that are so popular these days, to be honest?
2: Yeah. And do you see that's kind of a reflection of the development of the industry and that that the kind of expertise is starting to segment a little bit and and people are kind of picking parts of the whole, you know, kind of grow chain, processing chain, retail chain to kind of be experts in? Is this do you see this as really kind of reflective of the industry in that sense?
3: I do, because it's the industry is refining itself, and that is good. That's what we need. We need to piece it apart and dissect uh, different parts of the industry, so that way we can improve each part of it too, right?
2: Yeah. I'm kind of curious what you've noticed as I mean, we've had a couple of disruptions in the market or, or ups and downs in the market, you know, relative to, you know, availability of capital and stock prices and different states coming online and, you know, having different experiences in terms of supply and demand dynamics. Is there any kind of general trends that you've noticed over the last couple of years? Anything that you kind of see as really being kind of driving the industry and, and it's the speed or, or the lack thereof, <laughs> lack of speed ah. in terms of its and, and development overall?
3: Well, and it's so funny when you think about the speed and how different states come online and really the laws that as states come online, those laws affect how fast things move, right? Yeah. So I think of, you know, you have a place like Oklahoma and it's lower flat rate of, you know, it's just like five grand to get your license and apply versus Other states that make it much more complicated. And so that definitely affects the speed that each state is coming online. And unfortunately, that affects the speed of the entire industry coming online when we're all doing things a little bit differently. But I I do I do see trends. I I think of I'm on the West Coast, so I can't help but look at Washington, California Mm -hmm. and Oregon. But the medical programs all in these states have declined since adult use has been legalized. And I think that's a trend that we see is we need to find a balance when we're between medicinal use and adult use. We can't let the medicinal programs drop out just because an adult use program is coming into the state. So that's a trend that kind of concerns me. I don't want to see medical programs disintegrate into nothing. They're incredibly important. And I, uh, that's one of the trends that I think I, that does, yes, that concerns me the most.
2: Yeah, it's true. So I've had a couple of conversations around this the last couple of months and, Yeah, I would agree. I think it's concerning in the sense of we definitely have a population, you know, people who are looking for need, you know, cannabis products to treat, you know, various levels of medical situations, right? Whether it's, you know, severe things like dealing with chemotherapy and things like that to, you know, issues around sleep and anxiety. I mean, there's, there's, there's a medical application for this product. What's your sense in terms of What's driving it? Is it? Do you notice anything or, or do you have any kind of working assumptions around why the trend seems to be when a state who has been medically legal introduces an adult use program, you see these numbers decrease on the medical side? What's your kind of working assumption on why this is happening? Is there anything that you've seen that we might want to consider in terms of protecting that or, or correcting some of that switch?
3: Yeah, I know one thing here in Oregon, at least from the time I got my very first medical card before recreational uh, use had been uh, started here in Oregon, I the, the cards were cheaper. Mm. The doctor's appointments were cheaper. Unfortunately, people are, go as, are going to look at the cost of a medical card and weigh that against the taxes they would be paying as, as a rec user. And some don't see value in the increased cost of that. Of the medical card and what really who that really ends up hurting are the people who I think of the children, right? Like my husband personally works with Adam, Jacques, who we were speaking about earlier, and they help a little girl named Lenny here in Oregon. And if she doesn't have a medical card, she really legally cannot have access to it right her she has to have a card and her parents have to have a caregiver card to be able to get her the medicine and you uh, we as a community need to make sure that we're not putting those medical cards out of financial reach for the people that truly need them Um, so that's just something that i think we can all keep an eye on is that we're allowing our medical programs to be within financial reach of the people who need them
2: yeah. What is the, um, to the best of your knowledge, what is the cost difference right now, or what is the cost implication of doing medical cards yeah, in order?
3: I believe we paid. 400 this last year for our appointment and yeah. our grower cards and medical cards. So, yeah.
2: So then it's just it, when you get an adult use program that makes it more generally available without cards, you know, that it, it just kind of chills the medical program. People just move on to the other side, those, yeah. those that can.
3: And you do get a better rate, at least here in Oregon, uh, if you have a medical card and you don't pay taxes. But a lot of people don't see that upfront cost as worth it. They would just rather yeah. pay the taxes over time. But that certainly doesn't help people who are under the age of 21 and need it for medicinal purposes. They have to have that card.
2: Yeah, the other thing that uh, it comes up in this conversation we talk about medical versus adult use is is the whole – procurement process, right? And the the procurement experience and going into dispensary, you know, a a dispensary that's primarily focused on adult use, you know, it's just going to have a different, it's just going to have, you know, a different process, right? Different layout, different kind of customer experience, a different kind of, you know, select product availability, product selection, product selection process is going to be quite different between the two. Do you see that as being kind of impacted for medical patients, medical users in terms of being able to procure product in a state or in a situation where you've got adult use and the the dispensaries are primarily focused on adult use?
3: Well, and that's another thing that all states do differently. And even here in Oregon, we've had an ebb and flow where when they initially started adult use, we had to keep, like when we worked at the dispensary, we had a room that sold to medical patients, and a room that sold to recreational patients. Interesting. Since then, now it's blended. So one of my favorite dispensaries here in Eugene, the greener side, when you go in, everything medical and recreational is right out in front of you, and it has a medical price and a recreational price on it. So I like when stores do that. They try to blend the experience because I get why we separate the two, but they're the same products and we're just using them a little bit differently. So I like when they're all together like that, just with the different prices. And then it's, you know, you show your medical card and they're going to speak to you more about your medical needs and what, you, what you're what you searching for in a product versus you don't have a medical card and they're just going to maybe talk to you about terpenes or flavors that you're looking for. And I like that because then it's on the bud tender to work with the customer for their needs. And that's really how it should be rather than a a separation of the product's they really should be together, in my opinion, just with a different service from the bud tender.
2: Yeah, so it's just a, sort of we're talking about it in a, in a different context, but the, the products themselves are the same. It's the same suite of uh, available kind of products and modalities and, and uh, options for consumers.
3: Yeah, and I that's it's funny how I remember back when I first started in cannabis, my, my family in Kansas were convinced that there is a difference between medical cannabis and recreational cannabis, like a fundamental difference. They thought plant was different.
2: Uh, Interesting.
3: And that's another reason why I like to see it all in one retail shop because it isn't, it isn't different. That's why cannabis is the most, I mean, it's, we've never encountered a substance like this that can be used recreationally and medicinally. It's so unique in that way you can't that's why it's difficult to regulate it right we don't really have a schema for how to regulate a substance like this
2: yeah no exactly let's talk about some of the events and things that you've been focused on or, or that you've produced in the past how have you kind of approached the event market what's been kind of your strategy particular topics regions communities parts of the industry that you've primarily focused on or how have you gone about looking at opportunities and, and creating events for the cannabis industry
3: Sure. So like I said, when we first started attending events, we realized that all events kind of fit into two categories. It was either a festival or a generic trade show. And while those are both wonderful for their purpose of raising positive awareness about the plant, they don't focus on specific aspects of the industry and dive deep into the education that we really need to elevate the conversation around cannabis, right? So that was our initial goal is to create events that focus on one core aspect of the industry. So of course, when you're thinking about what do we need to focus on the most to make sure that cannabis successfully is socially normalized and that's growing that's the actual product right if we don't have quality products going out to consumers medical or recreational the industry doesn't really stand a chance right consumer views are hugely based upon quality product if we're putting bad things out there that just shines a poor light on the industry as a whole so that's where Canagro came into play we started developing that um held our first can Grow expo in 2014. And the idea behind that was just how do you become a better grower? How do we ensure that quality products are going out to consumers across the United States? And so with that, we held our first can Grow in Denver and we don't limit our events to one part of The country because it kind of goes back to that idea we need to all be sharing our ideas from different parts of the nation different parts of the world if we want to figure out what's going right and what's going wrong and how to do it the best we can but yeah since then we've held cantergrow in portland uh, oregon in san diego california reno nevada um, and we are returning to Palm Springs, California, November ninth through the thirteenth for Cultivation Week, and that actually has a few events in it. We have uh, hosting Hemp Conference West and the Canagro Expo Invitational Golf Tournament, as well as the tenth Canagro Expo. So a whole week of conversation around cultivation which is really exciting <laughs>
2: yeah i'm curious on the hemp side i guess how have you approached the hemp market i mean, gonna do you, i mean it you know the underlying plant is the same but obviously the markets are quite different how have you kind of approached that or how do you kind of organize that from an event point of view and, and you know creating content and programming based on the industries and what's similar and what's different around them
3: what we have done up until this point is, I mean, all hemp is cannabis, not all cannabis is hemp, right? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. and what we've always done for Canagro is there's been a mixture of educational sessions that are specifically dedicated to how we cultivate, extract, and distribute hemp and how we cultivate, extract, and distribute cannabis. We've just had sessions, both types of sessions on the agenda. And as we started seeing more just strictly hemp conferences pop up, and they weren't discussing cannabis as a whole, what I feared is that that was driving the division that people see between cannabis and hemp. They see it as two different things. And we really don't want that. We just want people to understand that these are from the same uh, plant family and genus they just have different cannabinoid levels right yeah. that's really what it comes down to so yeah.
2: it's a legal it's more of a legal definition than it has to do with anything about the genetics of the plant of the, in in terms of this THC content exactly
3: so that's when we were starting to design cultivation week we decided to have an entire day talking about hemp conference west that's why we were wanted to put that in there because it feels irresponsible to not talk about cannabis and hemp in the same breath, because even though I know they are cultivated and extracted a little bit differently and obviously distributed differently, but at the same time, they still share a lot of similarities. And I think when we talk about them together, it really just helps the entire world understand that we're talking about the same plant. You know, we're not a uh, we never want hemp to get this put on a pedestal, basically, with the whole CBD craze and everything and then have cannabis be this, you know, oh, I'm not sure about cannabis, though. We can't have that, right? We need them people to be looking at them the same and deciding what they need for their medical use or for recreational purposes. But we want people to be talking about them in the same breath. So that's why we brought Hemp Conference West into place, so we could actually have a whole day talking about how we work with hemp, but then still have our two full days talking about cannabis too, but all in the same week. So we're sharing conversations on both.
2: Yeah, interesting. And how, I mean, I guess as you look at kind of the future of the market and how, you know, what kind of events you're sort of strategizing on either in terms of locations or topics, how do you see the event market kind of playing out in cannabis as the industry grows and matures?
3: Well, I think definitely as the industry matures, we're going to realize that We need to continue focusing on a deeper level of education for the people who are in retail, who are producing and manufacturing cannabis. I think of it as like with any industry, you have to have continued education courses, right? Mm -hmm. What I hope for is in this industry is that we see a move from more generic trade shows to more in-depth, focused educational events that hone in on one part of the industry. That way, we can improve.
2: Yeah. And anything that you're hoping kind of develops for the industry in terms of, you know, policy regulations, you know, kind of the things that are really driving how this industry is kind of shaping up in terms of um, laws, either state level or federal laws, or even kind of as the international market kind of starts to form here, anything you're particularly interested in or watching or hope that happens?
3: Well, of course, I'd love to see federal legalization, but it is a beast to tackle <laughs> yeah. none of us- even know what that really looks like, right? It's hard to even conceptualize what federal legalization looks like. But I, I believe truly in my heart that we need to work towards that. And I am hoping that everyone can step back. And sure, we need to take our experience with tobacco and alcohol and things like that, that we've regulated. But truly cannabis should be regulated with its own set of standards and my hope is that when we do push for federal legalization that people can step back and say what's the best way to regulate cannabis not just try to apply tobacco or liquor laws to it and in my opinion i feel like that's the worst thing that could happen we need to get creative and figure out the best way to to regulate this substance
2: yeah, no, I think there's a lot of uh, uncertainty uh, on exactly how regulation or, or legalization is is going to play out. You know, if they do deschedule cannabis, you know, and then what happens on the state level? I think there's still just descheduling it on the federal level doesn't solve all the problems. You know, we still have to figure out how we're going to really structure the industry on a state by state level, given given all these things we have in place. You know, we're going to end up with these you know lots of different markets and and what's going to happen to those and how do they change and and how do they morph? So I think there's still a lot of uncertainty on the table. But yes, it would be nice to get some consistent. At a federal level, on on how we're going to treat this. Jesse, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time. If people want to find out more about you, about the events you've got programmed coming up, where's the best place to get that information?
3: Sure. Uh, The best place to find information on Cultivation Week that's coming up is by visiting cultivationweek.com and it has all of our events listed on there for that week and what's coming up and a little more information. And, of course, if you have any questions for me, you can also email me, uh, jessie, J-E-S-S-I, at CanagroExpo.com.
2: Great. I'll make sure that the links and email is in the show notes here so people can get that from there. Click through and get the information. Again, thank you for taking the time today. Um, this whole event space and how do we bring the community together is, is such an important topic that I'm really glad we were able to dig into it. And I think you've hopefully people got some good information and some good insight into where the industry is going. And I really appreciate the time today. Thank
3: you so much for having me, Bruce. I appreciate
1: it. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter.